Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I'm so glad that you are here tonight as we wrap up our series, Baked Together. And as we do, I want you to stop and think for a moment. If you listen to the radio, perhaps as you're driving in your car or you're at work, I bet you can think of a time or a million times that you've heard a jingle. And I won't mention the charity, but I bet as soon as I start describing it, you're going to be able to think of it as a charity that's looking for you to donate your old automobile and to do it for the education of young people. And I I would imagine by now you have that jingle playing in your head. And and there are a number of different organizations that do do that sort of car donation to help different cause thing, but that one seems to be particularly prominent. And, And you think about those ads for a moment. Have you ever stopped and really thought about them? I don't know how good the work is that they do. I'm not making a comment on that, but think about the ads for a moment. What do they say? Well, your car can be completely non-functional. It's something that you don't have anything to do with. It's just broken down, useless. It's a piece of trash. They'll come and haul it away and you'll get what? You'll get a tax write-off. And then some of these different organizations also say, well, and you're going to get this bonus when you donate your car of tickets to sporting events or other free things. One was promising free vacations when you made a donation. In other words, give us your broken down, discarded vehicle that you don't want any longer, and you're going to get hundreds of dollars worth of tax credits and free stuff. So in other words, give it because you're going to get something. And again, that's not a comment on the charity. It's speaking to something about us, because why are they doing that? They're doing that because they know that the way to get people to donate is to make it so that they have something in it for themselves. That it's not primarily about taking a hit and, and, and giving out of sacrifice of our own income or possessions, but rather to take something that's not of value to ourselves and get something that is of value to ourselves. Scripture challenges us to something different. Scripture challenges us to be willing to give of ourselves when it hurts. Not because we're going to get more rewards for it. And that's something that often confuses people in the Christian life. Because if we're talking about salvation that's given freely, that we can't earn God's favor, then how does it tie in that he wants us to do things? If it's not that we're going to earn our way to salvation and we fall back in over and over again into that trap, where's the catch? How does this all work? Well, Scripture says that in response to God's love, we should, we, could, we should be enthusiastic servants of the gospel, not so that we can earn God's favor, but simply because we want to. We're called to a different sort of attitude. And that's what we're going to be challenged in as we wrap up this series tonight in Philippians chapter 2. So let's go ahead and turn to the end of that chapter and hear what Paul writes. Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. 
For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. As we contemplate what this passage is saying to us and challenging us, let's come before God and ask that he would apply his truth to our hearts. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for this evening and for these friends who are joined together tonight, that we are studying your word together. Would you help us to see the truth of it? Would you help us to see those places where we're holding on to selfish ambition? Help us instead to desire to do what is good and pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The challenge that we see in this passage, and for that matter, another one we're going to delve back into, which is the previous few verses where, where Paul's talking about Timothy, is uh, we have two examples of men who have served with Paul who are willing to risk their own well-being for the sake of the gospel. For Paul's benefit, but not just Paul's benefit. For the church's benefit, but ultimately for Jesus's benefit. They want to serve their risen Lord. They want to, to bring more people into the kingdom, to be used by the Holy Spirit to do God's work. And we see that as we read this passage and we think about what Paul's describing here about Epaphroditus, because here's a man who who traveled to visit Paul to, to show care to him for the sake of the Philippian church. He sent sort of as their ambassador while, while Paul is in prison. And in some form in the midst of doing that, he became ill. And, and we don't know what kind of illness. There's some debate on exactly what was going on. Did he become ill, some kind of physical illness that he caught on the way traveling. That was an, a, a very normal thing in travels in those days. And and so it could have been that. It could have been as he was visiting with Paul, and it, it, depending on whether Paul was still under house arrest at this point, or maybe in an actual prison where lots of disease was, maybe he picked up something vis- visiting Paul. Some have also speculated that maybe Epaphroditus had become ill in the sense that he was so overwhelmed by the stress of seeing Paul imprisoned or the travels or any of that sort of thing that it was more of some kind of mental illness that he was struggling with anxiety and and fear and so on. It's not entirely certain, although it probably, I would say, leans towards the likelihood that it was at least in part a physical illness because Paul says that he nearly died from it. Of course, that could have been from anxiety as well. Uh, we don't know. But what we do know is that Epaphroditus has brought this on himself for the work that Jesus has called him to. As Paul said in verse 30, for he nearly died for the work of Christ. What is that work? Well, he's been sent by the Philippian church to come and serve Paul while he's in prison. So Epaphroditus, whatever his profession was, we, we don't know that much about him, but he, he leaves his family and, and his church and his city and whatever else he did there, his livelihood, he leaves all that to take care of Paul. He's willing to risk all that for this ministry calling to care for the apostle. And, and so in that we see a willingness to seek others' welfare, Paul's welfare, in exchange for his own. And we see that also with Timothy in the passage immediately before, if we go back to verses 20 and 22. Listen to what Paul says about Timothy. He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. 
So what do we see here? Well, we see in the case of both Timothy and Epaphroditus, for that matter, that their, their mode of operation was to put others first. Timothy is going to be sent by Paul because Paul knows that more than anyone else that he knows, that he can send Timothy to serve the Philippians while Paul can't go and serve the Philippians. And he's going to serve them for their sake. He's not going to go enrich himself. He's not going to go to get an ego trip and build himself up as the, the delegate of the great apostle Paul. He's going to go because he wants to see the Philippians grow in Jesus. That's why he's going to do it. And we get a very strong sense here that something similar is true of Epaphroditus, that he doesn't have much to gain, anything really to gain in an earthly sense by going to see Paul in prison in Rome. He could have stayed in, in Philippi and everything would have been going well for him. But he goes to care for Paul. And so we see those two examples. And then we see Paul himself modeling the same thing. And he does that with regards to both of these men, because here he is stuck in prison. And we, of course, know the saying, misery loves company. Paul surely wanted some company. And, and maybe he could have even enjoyed Epaphroditus going through the things he was going through. We're told that Epaphroditus was anxious and distressed that the Philippians knew that he had been sick. Paul could have thought, well, okay, here's someone who else who's miserable with me. Certainly with Timothy, Timothy, we don't have any indication is miserable at this moment, but he is with Paul and providing him with support. So at least he can be there with him. And Paul's going to send both of these men away from himself to the Philippians. He's losing his support. Why is he willing to do that? He's doing that because it's not ultimately about him being comfortable, as comfortable as he can be in prison. He, again, is thinking about others. He's think, thinking about these, these Christians in Philippi and, and knowing he can't be there to minister to them right now. And so he wants to do whatever he can to make sure that they're okay. So he's going to send Timothy. He wants to make sure that Epaphroditus is okay. And Epaphroditus is anxious to get back home. And, and so Paul wants to send him back so that he's okay. And also that the Philippians can see that he's okay. So in these three men, their story woven together here, we see in all three of them a desire to put the church and the, the cause of Christ ahead of themselves. And that, that's something I'd love to be able to say that I am willing to do, that I, I'm willing to risk my own well-being for the sake of others, and especially when it comes to the gospel, that I'm willing to do that. But it's a challenging thing to ask oneself, am I really willing to do that, isn't it? And a lot of times we kind of build ourselves up. I can build myself up thinking, well, I'm doing this or I'm doing that. But how often am I falling into that automobile charity kind of mindset? I'm doing something. I'm sacrificing. Oh, look at this thing that I'm doing. And yet when I look at it, I, I have whatever it is that I'm deriving from that, whether I'm enjoying doing it, which, which isn't a bad thing, or there's some benefit to me. How often am I willing to see absolutely no benefit to myself? And do something. It's a challenging question. I think it's one that we all need to ask ourselves. Am I doing the things, even the sacrifices that I'm making, for the things I'm going to get back? Or simply because it's pleasing to God? It's a very challenging thing for us to have to face down. And this is something that we see is true of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we see also is true of Paul. None of them are, are coming out ahead by doing what they're doing. 
Paul is going to ultimately, not in this particular imprisonment, but ultimately face death for the work that he does. He could have gone someplace quiet and spent a life as a scholar and, and lived until he died a natural death, but he doesn't choose to do that. Why? Because all of them were willing to put the well-being of others first. Following Jesus, who put the well-being of us first by going to the cross first, as will be going through the story of and, and soaking in over the course of this Holy Week. So here we see a challenge that, yes, we can't do it to the extent that Jesus can, but we should be those who want to be like Jesus. And, and that's what these men are doing. And it comes to that question, what am I doing? Am I thinking in those terms? And then there's another challenge that follows up along with that first one. And, and it's something that I, I think we've exposed all the more in our current ugly culture that we find ourselves in. If you are on social media at all, and I'm assuming if you're watching this live stream, you are, we, we know there's lots of good things about it. I'm not about to beat up on everything about social media, but one thing that we know that's ugly about it is the social media mob and, and how it loves to go after people. And, and it's funny when we like the people that are doing the attacking, or maybe more importantly, we dislike the people they're receiving the attack, even though we normally wouldn't do that sort of thing, we'll join right in. One really striking example has come up in in the Twitter sphere with uh, different Christian figures. It's been really kind of disturbing. There, there are a number of pastors who, well, every pastor is going to have some reasons that people should question them because we're fallen human beings. And, and some of these big pastors that really have done a great job, Tim Keller, for example, I, I have a high respect for Tim Keller. I don't agree with everything he does, but I have a high respect for him, uh, have come under increasing fire because they might say something in a way that someone doesn't think they should, or, or someone might outright just genuinely disagree with them on some point. But instead of genuinely disagreeing with a brother or sister in Christ, it becomes, I'm going to take this person down. And one of the, the most mind-boggling parts has been there's this one particular atheist crusader against Keller and some of the others that a lot of Christians are cheering on. And I'm not even sure exactly why, other than to get more followers, this guy even cares what happens to people like Keller because he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in anything that either side of these theological debates is saying. And yet he's realized he can get this huge group of Christians rallying behind him as he goes and tries to take down the allegedly evil pastors. Now, there are pastors that need to be challenged, but the ugly thing here, I think, is that it's all about winning this little public opinion war rather than actually seeking out truth and seeking out what's pleasing to God. And we get caught up in it. We also know that we can become the receiving end of that in our own lives, whether it's on social media or in life itself, when people misunderstand us. And a lot of times what we've seen on social media is it's more about misunderstanding than genuine disagreement. Someone doesn't use a word quite right or whatever. We don't like to be misunderstood. And we see this sort of thing, and the last thing we want to do is be misunderstood. And what we see what happens with Epaphroditus is it appears that he is being misunderstood by the Philippians. And let's take a look at the next few verses and think about that. Paul says that he, Epaphroditus, has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. 
but God had mercy on him. Not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. There's a lot packed in there, and we see for one that that Epaphroditus means a lot to Paul. Paul doesn't want anything to happen to him. He, he has enough sorrow being in prison, but if Epaphroditus had actually died, that would have been a sorrow upon sorrow. So, so when Epaphroditus recovers, Paul sees that as a mercy of God upon himself, that, that God has chosen not to take this man's life in the process of trying to serve Paul. But the Philippians may have seen it differently. Here they'd sent Epaphroditus to go help Paul, and what happens? Epaphroditus apparently falls ill, very ill. So instead of being a help to Paul, maybe he was a burden to Paul. We don't know the exact details here, whether Paul was using some of his limited resources to try to help Epaphroditus, or whether it was just because Paul was having to worry about Epaphroditus, or Epaphroditus wasn't able to help Paul enough. We don't know the exact details, but what we do know is that Epaphroditus was distressed that his home church had heard that he'd fallen ill. And as we see, as we go on in a moment, there's a strong hint that the reason he was distressed wasn't just because he was worried that those back home were worried if he was okay, but rather he had gotten the distinct impression that they were going to think that he'd gone and ended up being a burden to Paul rather than helping him. He was going to be misunderstood. And when we go and do what God calls us to do, there's a strong strong possibility there are going to be times that we're misunderstood. Paul was misunderstood. Anyone who serves Jesus is going to be misunderstood. Jesus himself was misunderstood. He hung out with sinners and people didn't understand why he wanted to be around the tax collectors and the other sinners. We take a look, for example, in Luke chapter 5. Levi, it says, made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now that's what Jesus was doing, but he was being misunderstood in the process of doing it. That's the risk. A friend of mine was preaching yesterday on, on the story of Mary, and he turned to the passage in Mark chapter 3 where we see his own family, Jesus' family, misunderstood what he was doing. It wasn't easy doing what Jesus was doing. And we think about the cross and we say, well, yeah, that wasn't easy. But the whole process of what Jesus was doing, the entirety of his life wasn't easy. Imagine being God and being constrained in the body of a little baby, how that would really not be enjoyable. And of course, God was still in control of the universe and the divine mystery, but, but God, the Son, was actually experiencing the limitations of being a little baby and then a little child. And then even as he grew a little, people weren't looking at him as, oh, here's God incarnate. He's, he's not very tall yet, but here's the, the wisdom of the universe. No, they're saying, oh, there's a kid. And, and so we see the challenges of going into this life. And then, as I said, I thought it was such a great point that, that my friend was pointing out yesterday that that we're told in, in Mark chapter 3, his family wants to go and seize him and pull him out thinking that he's gone crazy. Jesus knows what it's like to go through being misunderstood. 
shouldn't surprise us then that as we follow him, that we're misunderstood too. Now, one thing that we can do is we can help each other through that misunderstanding. And that's what we see Paul doing here in this passage, because why is he telling the Philippians about how anxious Epaphroditus is? Why does he go on to say how much he cares about Epaphroditus and, and, and how much he appreciated his time there, but he wants to send them back and he wants them to be honored and received as in Christ? Why does he say all that? He says that because he knows that there's a, a real possibility that the Philippians are going to misunderstand and they're going to think that Epaphroditus was just a burden to Paul. And when he will, goes back, Paul wants the Philippians to see Epaphroditus arriving back and rejoice that he's been healed and rejoice that he was willing to put his life at risk for the sake of the ministry. He wants him to receive a hero's welcome, not the welcome of a failure. He doesn't want that fear that Epaphroditus is feeling to, to be made completely true that he arrives back and everyone just looks at him and misunderstands him and and doesn't see his good intentions but sees his failures and that's something that we can do we 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 can do this in several ways one when it comes to the social media example i mentioned we as believers should have nothing to do with these mobs that get into these misunderstandings and just try to pick people apart we should stand for truth and we can even use social media to do that in, in loving, respectful ways. But when it's just a mob and we're looking like a, a lawyer looking for a loophole to see one little place or, or a few little places where things aren't quite right, and then we attack people without any mercy, we shouldn't do that. It's displeasing to God that we do that. It's ugly. It's not what we're called to be as followers of Christ. And that's true in our, in our own lives as well, in, in, in our churches and in our families and in our workplaces. There are times where it's really easy to look the other way as, as someone gets misunderstood and, and maybe it's even going to build us up. We shouldn't do that. So tempting. I'll just let people misunderstand this other person. It'll be easier for me. Maybe even people like me better. That's not what God calls us to do. We should be like Paul in this, that we stand up and when someone is being misunderstood, we should seek to, to bring about understanding. We should also be those who are willing to be misunderstood. Am I willing to, to have people misunderstand me for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to take the sort of risks that God calls me to, even, even when people aren't necessarily going to get it? They're going to think I'm crazy. They're going to think... I, I, I'm just being foolish. We're challenged here too. When we're seeking others' welfare, and when we're seeking what Jesus wants us to do, people are going to misunderstand us. So we need to start out with the question as we say, I want to serve Jesus. Am I willing to be misunderstood? Am I willing to be on the receiving end of rejection? Are we willing to do that individually? And are we willing to do that as the body of Christ, our local churches, our, our larger regional bodies, and the church as a whole in the world, we need to be willing to say, I'm okay, we're okay. If the whole world misunderstands us, we're going to still show the love of Jesus. We're not going to, to, to come swinging out and try to prove how right we are by hitting people over the head, and, and we'll knock them over the head, and then they'll know that Jesus is love. No, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to show the love of Jesus to a hurting world. And when that world hurts us, we continue to show the love of Jesus to a hurting world because that's what Jesus has done for us. However, in the midst of it, it often feels like, 
how's this going to work? And sometimes we don't know how it's going to work. Epaphroditus in this moment, he's he's given up a bunch to go and travel and take care of Paul, and now he's become sick, and it just feels like his life's probably coming apart because he's going to go back as, as this failure to his people. It doesn't make much sense. What do we know? He did what Jesus faithfully called him to do. That's what matters. And we have to be willing then to take those risks and risk misunderstanding and risk rejection for the sake of what God's called us to do. Even when it's not clear in the moment. I started this series talking about us being baked together, thinking about how this chapter helps us to think about what it looks like to be Jesus's bride, to be the church, to, to serve the world. And, and that's something that we need to be thinking of as Little Hills Church. And, and if you're joining us from another church tonight, we need to be thinking about in every single church. What does it mean to be brought together? Because ultimately we're one body of Christ. What does that look like? And oftentimes it's not clear how when we do the hard work of actually being faithful to following Jesus, how it's going to all come together. Just like it's often not clear when we're baking something. And and I was thinking about that yesterday as I was preparing once again to, to make some pizza. I love making pizza on the weekend and it's become sort of a hobby since the beginning of the pandemic and trying to get everything right. And if you've ever worked with dough and, and not like the mixed dough, but I've been doing the whole sourdough thing. If you work with, with live wild yeast, you know it's not necessarily perfectly controllable and and there's lots of little things you can do or not do and it makes a huge difference. And I've been trying to get over the last few months the perfect pan pizza and I've been having a really hard time hammering it down. It's never quite what I want. And the interesting thing is it takes over a day to put together the dough and to get it to form into a pan pizza. And during that day you can do things like you can fold the dough, you can punch down the dough, you can let it sit out. You can put it in the refrigerator. And the timing on all these different things affects how it's ultimately going to taste and rise and so on. And we don't always know what's going to work and what doesn't. And one of the things I discovered over the last few times is I accidentally left the dough out overnight and let it go through the process of rising and the yeast consuming what it can find in the flour for longer. And I actually liked it better, but it was a mistake and I almost gave up. I thought this, this dough is probably just ruined. So we often don't know what's going to work and what doesn't work. It makes you kind of think, well, this is an awful lot of work, especially if it doesn't work out. And some of the, the results haven't been completely satisfying. And sort of, boy, that was disappointing. In our own lives, as we, we face life and we face challenges and we face callings to go and serve in the gospel, and, and sometimes we're not sure that it's going to work out. We think I'm just going to arrive there and I'm going to get sick and I'm going to suffer. And then people are going to think I'm a failure, just like Epaphroditus. We think maybe it's not worth the trouble. Just like that dough. Maybe it's not, it might not come out right. It might not rise right. It might not taste right. And now we're talking my life and I don't want to do that. Here's the difference. Uh, There are lots of sourdough recipes, but I'm trying to tweak this one on my own. I, I don't know how it's going to come out yet. But we do have a recipe for how we're supposed to live our lives. And the funny thing is, we get really attached to different bits of worldly wisdom, or maybe just a few bits of scripture. But when we actually look at the whole of scripture, it's really clear, not necessarily exactly what choices we should make, but how we should have the mind of Christ as we approach living. That's what we talked about earlier at the very beginning of this chapter. What does it look like to have the mind of Christ? 
That's what we see with Epaphroditus and Timothy and Paul. They were willing to be misunderstood. They were willing to sacrifice their own well-being because they wanted to follow Jesus and see more people know the gospel, to take those risks upon themselves for the sake of others. That's what he calls us to do as well. And at times it's going to feel like we're punching that dough. We don't know what it's going to do. We don't know if it's sat out too long or not long enough, if it's going to be chewy or, or, or not have enough flavor or have a weird flavor. And we think, where is this life going? But what do we know? There's a difference between that dough and our lives because we know that God is directing it and that even when it feels like it's not rising properly, that ultimately God will be victorious. And he promises to share that victory with us. So do we know everything? No. Timothy and Epaphroditus didn't know exactly how it was going to come out. Paul, we've talked about, didn't know exactly how his life was going to to come out over the, the coming months and years after he wrote this letter. But they all knew something that enabled them to do this, which is that Jesus was with them. And you can know that tonight too, whether for the first time, if you've never trusted him before, or if you're just struggling in the midst of life, even though you trust him and you're thinking, ah, but, but is this really what you want, Jesus? What we're called to do is have his mind, to be willing to face those sacrifices, to go to the war of, of the spiritual warfare that we face, realizing that it could cost us dearly, but knowing that he's paid the price for us and that his victory is a victory that he invites us into as we face those things. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, it's hard facing the things that you call us to face because oftentimes it's not really clear where you're leading us. We see some of the things that you want, and it, sometimes it seems like it's pretty clear, but other times it seems incredibly murky, and, and many times it seems like it's incredibly costly. We think, I don't know if I really want to do this. I don't know if I want to face these costs, these misunderstandings, this pain to risk our lives. Lord, would you remind us of what you have done for us and through that enable us more and more to seek after you. Lord, we can't do it on our own, but may we trust in you this night and every day to be willing to be those who lay down our lives for the sake of your work, knowing that you are the one who has the true power over life and death, and that you are the one that offers life eternal. We pray in Jesus' name. If this series has been an encouragement to you, would you please consider sharing this video or some of the other videos from the Bake Together series on your social media? Send an email to a friend, invite someone over to watch part of it, to think about what it looks like to be the church together and what promises we find in God's word as we do. A like or a share or a comment really can help someone else discover the promises and the hope that we find in God's word. And we're going to continue to explore God's Word in different ways in the coming weeks that I can't wait to share, including next week, we're going to begin a brand new series entitled Bad Attitudes on Monday nights. And it's going to be so much fun. We're, we're, we're going to be exploring the Beatitudes on Sunday nights as we launch in person, but we're going to be looking at bad attitudes on Monday nights. We're going to be looking at some of the figures in the Old Testament who have the wrong attitude, the wrong approach and try to learn from their stories, not to follow them, but rather what it is that we fall into too, because we're fallen sinful people too, and how we can instead have that mind of Christ. So I hope you'll join me starting next week at 7 p.m. 
on Monday nights for Bad Attitudes. It'll be great to share that with you. And of course, please consider inviting someone to watch it with you. Another way that we're continuing to dig into the scriptures is our Psalm series that we're doing on Sunday nights. And Melanie helped walk us through this week's Psalms. And if you missed that last night, you should go and check that out. And then go and, and read over the course of this week, Psalms 43, 44, and 45. And check out grow.faithtree.com, a great place to join in the conversation about those passages as you read them. Also, we have upcoming services. There's so much going on, and we've had to delay our launch again, but we're making the best of it and seeing how God's working. And one of those ways is to have another online streaming Monday, Thursday service. This Thursday night at 7 p.m. is going to go through the story of the Last Supper and the crucifixion and contemplate on what Jesus has done for us as we prepare our hearts for Easter. So I do hope that you will come on Thursday evening at 7 p.m. And in just less than two weeks, we are going to finally launch. Our building has been undergoing repairs, as I've shared. The repairs are largely done. Now we're just doing setup. So we are confident we are going to launch on Sunday, the 24th at 5.30 p.m. Whether you can join us in person or you want to join us online, we would love to have you on the 24th join us. It'll be a wonderful time to share with you. If there's any way I can be praying for you this week or you have any questions about anything that I've shared, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen or you can leave a comment in the comments below. I love hearing from you. It's such a joy to get to sharing God's word with you. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed start to this holy week and I hope that you'll join us and that I will see you on Thursday night as we have that special Monday, Thursday live stream. Have a blessed week. Thank you.